0: Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner, and I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now, and it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 107 of the Tech Intersect pod. This is March 22nd, 2022. And in this episode, I chat with Jamari Peterson about the Avalanche DeFi protocol and metaverse and his role as core strategist for the snowball ecosystem on Avalanche. Now, Avalanche has been around since 2020 and is fast becoming a major step in decentralized finance. And is described by proponents as the fastest smart contracts platform in the blockchain industry as measured by time to finality. Jamari is the perfect guest for this topic because he is a well-established and well-respected strategy operations and development expert with significant experience in DeFi and tech. In fact, he built his first startup in the space in 2017, the Quantum Resistant Ledger. And under his leadership, they raised $4.16 million, leading to a $100 million plus valuation. He also developed a collateral free lending solution, the Digital Reserve, and an innovative gaming mechanism for finite games. He's also facilitated and supported the raise of millions of dollars for social enterprises and nonprofit activities at the Oasis Project. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you as we continue to learn while we earn in the future of work, wealth and creativity. Now, before we hop into the app, please take a moment to follow this podcast and then like, share, and comment so that others who would benefit from this content can find it. Okay, it's time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I welcome Jamari Peterson to the show. Jamari is a core strategist for the Snowball ecosystem on Avalanche and a strategy, operations, and development expert in crypto and the DeFi space, and so much more. I'm going to ask him to give a more formal introduction because he's working on some amazing things, and I'm really excited to talk with him about those today. And I invited him on to help us explore and to understand the powerful Avalanche Network and the multiverse, which was recently launched by the Avalanche Foundation to support the mass adoption and growth of its novel subnet functionality. He's going to tell us what that means, but it essentially enables this very rich ecosystem of scalable app-specific blockchains, which is a game changer in the DeFi space and the smart contract enabled platform space. And this launch in particular focused initially, as I understand it, he will tell us more, on a blockchain enabled gaming, DeFi and NFT space and also what I'm really interested in, this institutional use case. I've heard a lot about it. I wanted to take a more granular look, and there is no better person that I could invite on today to have this conversation with me. So we'll talk about all of that and more in a moment. But first, Jamari, welcome. It's good to be here. It's a joy. Yes, this is a long time coming. So I'm so hyped to have this conversation with you. Um,
1: same here. Same here. I'm excited. Hopefully people are <laughs> engaged and enjoy my um, information. I'm able to read to the table or to their audio ears.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm just so intrigued and interested in this project. But before we get to Avalanche, tell the good folks about you and your origin story, that rabbit hole experience, of course, that led you into the crypto assets and DeFi space. Yes, absolutely.
1: Well, it's a pleasure, Jamari. I tell people go away. Remember, Jamari going safari in his Ferrari. Jamari, it helps just a little bit, not even really a lot. Um, <laughs> but yes, my origin story. Doo, 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 doo. Um, no, so I actually came into this space in 2016. Um, I was um, ABD, all but dissertation in my PhD program at Carnegie Mellon, studying engineering and public policy, and I had a big interest in how do we kind of use technology to kind of decentralize our empower more people in the voting mechanisms. So I was looking into voting systems and how can you have more of a direct voting system or informed democracy, um, which eventually I came out to find out is called liquid democracy. (laughs) Uh, So I was digging into that reached out to some cryptographers because I was trying to understand the security assumptions. Ended up reaching out to David Chong, who's one of the um, kind of the founders of this cryptography space and a lot of the things that happened that led to Bitcoin. Um, he ended up talking about um, some random sampling and also about how blockchain-related technologies can be used. So I looked up Ethereum, and I was like, oh, man, this is amazing the, the concept behind it was like, oh, this is a tool that can be used to empower people to allow them to have choices for themselves and have what I call elective governance, mm. that they can choose a system that reflects their interests. So I started digging into that technology, find out what the weaknesses and strengths were. Um, I found out that one of the long-term vulnerabilities was quantum computing. So that led me to um, co-founding the Quantum Resistant Ledger um, with, with some other guys. Um, we ended up raising about $4 million for that, about $100 million network valuation when I left. But by then, I was really into consensus mechanisms and how do I design systems that would empower people that, that look like me? Um, mm-hmm. How do I make this space receptive and open to um, to people that are most disenfranchised? So I started digging into consensus, started delving into how do you expand DeFi? And yeah, so I... So over the next past years I've been consulting and building out new protocols. And that led me to Avalanche. Eventually. That's
0: amazing. You've done such extraordinary work. And you know, you're not tinkering at the edges, you're really making an impact in the center of like you're you're at the epicenter of this. And so that's really exciting. And I love that it led you to Avalanche in particular. And in my research My cursory research of basically the problem that Avalanche and the network was designed to solve for is what we refer to commonly as the blockchain trilemma, right? This three set of issues that consistently plague blockchains, uh, the optimal balance of decentralization and security and scalability. So describe at a high level what Avalanche is and how it is positioned to really be the ultimate bridge perhaps between traditional finance and decentralized finance, given some of the plaguing problems of the initial layer one solutions?
1: Yes. Avalanche likes to sometimes call itself a layer zero solution. Oh, interesting. Um, Because their consensus mechanism doesn't necessarily dictate the type of data structures or the way that information and transactions flow above that. So at, at the bottom layer, you have their consensus, which is a system that uses a random sampling and kind of this kind of gossip uh, methodology, which is basically people shouting, "Hey, is this transaction is happening," and you're listening, and you're determining which which information you believe. And because they use a different um, data structure for consensus than uh, what regular blockchain uh, like mm-hmm. Bitcoin uses, um, it allows them to actually have a higher level of, of, of scale and speed. So, so their time to finality—that's what they call it—instead mm-hmm. like um, transaction throughput, their time to finality can be faster. Because they're they're actually um, polling everybody simultaneously, and then they're, they're coming to a decision at that point. And kind of what I sometimes I think about the difference in this is blockchain is really um, a, a series of actions that are built upon each other. So essentially, when you think about um, Bitcoin or Ethereum, you, you, you hear a transaction and imagine you have an envelope. You, you write your transaction on that envelope. You put that envelope into a new envelope, and, and then you write a new transaction on top of that. And mm-hmm. as you keep. It into new envelopes, you now have a history, right? But it is one long block of, right. of, of information. Whereas a DAG allows you to actually um send out a bunch of envelopes in other places, and the, everybody's kind of coming to consensus individually about what the order of information that
0: they're getting, and then they're packaging it. So, so that's kind of where that additional speed comes from. Right. This has been a persistent and plaguing problem, not only for Bitcoin, when you think about I understand that folks from the Bitcoin ecosystem in particular say that the blockchain could handle smart contracts. It was not built for that purpose, right? Right. So I get it, but it wasn't built for that purpose. Then we fast forward, obviously, to the Ethereum virtual machine and the Ethereum network and the ability to support smart contract coding. Obviously, this is similar, but there are many distinctions. You started to run down the list and... As you were talking, it immediately leads me to kind of focus on the scalability. And you mentioned throughput and throughput and scalability. In my mind, I'm a non-technologist, kind of go hand in hand, because if you don't have a fast enough throughput, you can't scale. So talk to us about um, how Avalanche really solves that in particular.
1: Yeah. So the thing that I know um, they they try to clarify a lot within the Avalanche um, ecosystem and culture is that throughput by itself doesn't necessarily mean a lot right i can have a million transaction throughput right but if it takes me a week to finalize those transactions yes i push through a million but i i don't really know if it was really resolved for a week versus if i can push through of a a thousand or ten thousand transactions per per second and they and they're finalized like that very next second right so therefore kind of there's this discussion about what's a more effective metric and a more effective metric that they use is kind of time to finality, and that time to finality, along with the number of transactions you you can do in that period, is really kind of the the, the metric that they um, that they say you should use. And when I, I believe people were looking at that recently, they were finding that um, in comparison, that the avalanche was actually coming out uh, ahead and are better than the majority of his peers, um, whether they were more centralized or, or, or more decentralized. Right. And the about avalanche is they're not actually having a cap on the number of validators or people who can support the, that validation of of what's occurring on the network. So that kind of breeds you that that scalability, that decentralization, because they can scale up in size, but have finality that's under a second.
0: Right. Well, that's a game changer, clearly. And, and thank you for that clarification, the focus on finality. And I think even in the traditional finance scenario where you have settlement, but where is the finality in it as well? And so as you were talking, I was like, oh, I see not only in the current DeFi space, but even for TradFi, this makes a huge difference. And so now I'm wondering this bridge between TradFi, or for those who don't know what that means, traditional finance, the the current uh, or a legacy system and the decentralized finance system. Talk about the bridge between that, that Avalanche could actually serve as a bridge for.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that um, Avalanche has that's unique in addition to having this layer zero solution is that when you talk about layer one, um, you can actually have different um, virtual machines or different methodologies of interacting with uh, the underlying consensus. So what does this mean? We currently have the Ethereum virtual machine running on what's called the the C-chain on Avalanche. So any contract that's on Ethereum can be deployed on on, on the C-chain and have the benefits of this faster time to finality. But in addition to that, you can have other um, subsets of what they call subnets that they're running different virtual machines or different logic, right? So if you have these different subnets that are using the same consensus, but you can have different logic, you now have this ability to create private subnets or, or hybrid subnets, if you want. You can install custom logic around KYC, mm-hmm. or you can have custom ways of dealing with, with gas or gasless um, tr- transactions. So, so now you have um, a common consensus layer as layer zero, mm-hmm. but a variety of of ways of interacting with your transactions and deciding the way that you want to um, interact with transactions.
0: That's excellent. So this is giving me greater clarity around the different... So first of all, let me take a step back. My understanding of the Avalanche network architecture is really three blockchains, not just one. You mentioned the C chain um, and also the X chain and the P chain. And is that the environment that allows for the subnets?
1: Yeah so so the p chain is that layer 0. Okay the, got it. The, the p chain is where the validation of the network of all transactions have to occur. And then the the x chain was the uh, the avalanche virtual machine which is really focused on on just like some basic transactions of defi and a little bit of nfts. The, the C-Chain introduced the Ethereum virtual machine as a subnet, and that was like the the, the core initial, um, the, the core basket of Avalanche. Mm-hmm. And now that um, gaming is increasing, um, we're starting to see a lot of um, game-focused subnets that are, that are coming out. So you mentioned earlier about the... The, the multiverse, metaverse. Um, I actually try to call the
0: the Alvaverse. Uh, oh, I love it. I love a good trademark. You know, I'm an IP lawyer, so <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So well, yeah, because I, I did a little poll on Twitter. Yes. And I was like, okay, no, this is the name.
1: We got the name right. So, <laughs> so, so I called the Alvaverse. So basically, um, we have games like like Kravita, like uh, crypto seals and Hatchy Pockets that are creating their own subnets because they're actually taking up 33 of uh, of the transaction space wow. on the network due to the level of activity. Mm -hmm. So being able to move those to a separate network, that's still part of the same
0: consensus you can move assets back and forth is extremely powerful. So we've talked about why Avalanche is positioned to be this great bridge between TradFi and DeFi. And I want to, in a minute, talk about the native KYC functionality that I think is clearly it's really important for institutional use cases. But let's talk about that in a second. Why does it matter that Avalanche is, you know, really stepping into the future and kind of taking what exists now to move in a different direction. Partic- and the reason that I ask is particularly at this point in time, um, I feel like we're at an inflection point in the blockchain ecosystem, to be sure. And sometimes crypto can be quite tribal and beholden to a particular system where this literally this is a 24-7, 365 borderless technology that is really taking us into the future. But why does it matter that what Avalanche is building now and where do you see it going from this point?
1: For me, the reason that Avalanche was important was because it provided a foundational, scalable protocol. Um, Right now, we're looking at on Ethereum, um, I, I use Ethereum a lot. We're looking at more so solutions around the la- la- layer two solutions. How do we take things um, up above the, that main chain to kind of optimize and, and take care of things, and then set, settle back on on the main on layer one of Ethereum? Mm-hmm. Whereas Avalanche is taking a perspective that's more so you can all exist as, as as level ones that have some level of communication between you, but benefit from the same consensus mechanism. You you don't have to give up just a security you could have a a, a security model that matches um, whatever protocol you're, you're trying to run
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and it, it can be a, a shared resource because basically their validation runs whereas the validators can choose to also run a subset of other subnets below them mm-hmm. so every validator doesn't have to run every subnet. So now you have a market for people saying, okay, validators, please run my subnet. We're trying to accomplish this thing. This is how, how we're to design. These are incentive mechanisms, whether they're altruistic or whether they're, <laughs> they're, they're capital <laughs> they, <they're> capitalizing, <laughs> right? And then as long as you have a sufficient validators participating, you can now run a subnet that's still within that same e- ecosystem using the same um, the validation sets as already exist, um, and that's really helpful because it helps with, with the scaling up of the process while still allowing you have an increasing set of validators and, um, and valid- that delegation happen. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby.
0: We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. If you've tried to figure out crypto, DeFi and NFTs on your own on YouTube University or Podcast College and all you have to show for it are a lot of questions, but little if any forward progress. I invite you to visit AdvantageEvans.com to get the answers you've been searching for about how to buy, store and trade crypto and NFTs and to access DeFi safely, legally and confidently. Advantage Evans Academy offers everything from full-service VIP onboarding to prof-guided on-demand and cohort-based courses, as well as an engaging, informative, and supportive membership club, AE Explore Live, for as little as just $1 a day. This club is for you if you want to learn from well-respected crypto education experts like me, transform your relationship with money, generate wealth in the new digital cash economy, create digital ownership streams that lead to generational wealth. Learn to bet, buy, store, trade, earn and sell cryptocurrencies, engage in DeFi to lend and leverage your crypto create, buy, and trade creative and collectible NFTs, and network with other crypto-curious enthusiasts in an inclusive environment. You'll gain all of that and more in a wonderful community of like-minded, lifelong learners ready to get in and to win. If that sounds like you, join us. Visit AdvantageEvans.com to get immediate access to the resources you need and deserve. That's AdvantageEvans.com. Let's go and let's grow. And now, back to the conversation. I don't really buy into this idea of a competitive ecosystem between protocols that support smart contract technology, for example, and I imagine a world where a lot of different protocols are going to Coexist peacefully. It may not yes. be the case, but I believe that to be. It's not an either or, but a both and, particularly because so many amazing people are innovating across yes. the board. And when I think of community and collaboration, I necessarily think of the crypto ecosystem in a way that is unrivaled by traditional competitive models. So, talk to us about how the EVMs of the world you know, and the avalanche networks of the world can coexist peacefully. I guess one part of that is clearly the C-chain, but no. talk to us yeah, a bit absolutely. more about that. I mean, so the reality
1: is utilizing the Ethereum virtual machine pr- provides a way of really bootstrapping a community in a way that you can't if you're trying to come with, with a novel smart contract system. The tooling that Ethereum developed for, for Solidity um, and, and a little bit for, for Viper mm-hmm. is, is, is so much more robust than, than anything else out there. So, so, therefore, working together and strengthening the, that tooling is a, is vital for scaling up the space to provide the ability to create the applications that, that people need. Um, now, that one of the things that is also a benefit is as you have these different networks with their various constraints, you're also learning the, the various um, edges of what is capable with, with, with solidity in other languages, right? right? So, um, I know for Snowball, we used um, some code from, from Pickle Finance, um, we forked the code. We, we sent them some, some of our tokens for them as representing that we appreciate what they did mm. and we start using it. Then we realized we had a scaling issue because we're on Ethereum, everything's so costly that you're not deploying um, hundreds of contracts. Um, so they might have, so I believe Pico has like hundred contracts met most right now. Snowball has developed almost a 1,000 different smart contracts. And when you talk about 1,000 different smart contracts, now, if you're iterating through them, you're starting to hit what we call the block limit. The ability to actually deploy and actually make a transaction at that level starts right. to get stalled out. Right. So, 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 so we hit the limit of what was viable there. So we had to, to design new systems and, and new design mechanisms for how, how do you deal with, with this new edge of... Of things. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the benefits come from. You have everybody building for, for their own networks and hitting different constraints that allow you to come together and come to consensus about what is a better um, best practice. Like, what are the best practices for, for implementing um, certain types of functionality? And also, as we talk about this kind of cooperation between the various networks, mm-hmm. um, I do believe that having the ability to bridge between spaces is, is vital because everybody is creating. An environment that reflects their, their their interests and what they see as being viable for the long-term robustness of mm-hmm. a protocol, right? So so everybody can't do everything. So, so even those tiny tweaks sometimes are necessary because those tiny tweaks might be really necessary for a thousand, a million to a to hundred million people. And that is extremely valuable. That, that's a country, right? We're right. building digital countries and the decisions and values everybody needs is going to be different. So I absolutely think that's what's happening is we're creating our our various spaces and people are able to move in a way that's fluid that they never could before. Like, cause me as American, it's not easy to to move somewhere else. Like I'm bound by my geophysical location, right? But in digital spaces, now I can say, you know what? I I wasn't feeling this protocol anymore. Let, Let me move somewhere else that better
0: reflects my interests.
1: And that's great. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and that really lends itself well to this idea when we're talking about metaverse that obviously is bigger than decentralized or distributed ledger technology and crypto assets. It's a major component of it. But of course, we have VR and AR and and so many other uh, and just the idea of decentralization. Separate and apart from, although it's everything's kind of intertwined, but when you think of metaverse and Web3, it's bigger than what we're talking about. But this is an essential component of that, because this is the this and by this, I mean, uh, protocols that support and enable this idea of decentralized finance, of autonomy, self-sufficiency, the things that are important writ large, but in particular to Black communities and those who are systemically marginalized, to be able to participate meaningfully in not only reading and writing, but ownership. That's when I think about Web3. That's what I think about. And so to the extent that someone can participate regardless of where you are, regardless of your economic circumstances, some meaningful way, but to be able to do it quickly and, in an interoperable fashion, that seems to be the the secret sauce, as I say, absolutely.
1: You know, um, I mean, even as you're saying that, I mean, like a random product that I like um, or an avalanche is called Hatchy Pockets, for example. And one of their goals is because I know you, um, you was an intellectual property lawyer. Um, so one of their goals is to de- decentralize their IP. So mm. so all, all all the holders of of the, their their NFTs receive like governance and are supposed to receive royalties for from the leveraging of that IP. So their right. whole job for them, for example, is to Allow people to build up of the lore, to build up the story, the narrative around this, and everybody who has a piece now is an owner in that, mm. and, and they now have a reason to craft stories and build around or uh, around that that IP. And I think that's just amazing. It speaks to okay, all the things that as a black person, all the things that the black culture has, has created, right? Yes, um, has, has has often not been able to. To, to, to really get that same sense of ownership that they deserved, absolutely. But but with these technologies now, you have a way of them to take ownership of it and growing it and giving people a piece of it if they desire. So so now the fans and the users can actually kind of grow it. So we always talk about the, the, these cult hits, right? Right. Well, now cult hits, the, the the cult people who who brought on something can be the the owners of it as it grows. So I think right. that's what's amazing. I know that's not what we were talking about, but I just think that's cool.
0: No, I mean, because it's, it's squarely on this idea of ownership. And one of the most obvious areas when you're talking about digital ownership is intellectual property, property that is literally created with the mind where holders of these intellectual property rights and, and the big three, copyright, trademark, and patents, but in particular... So much of it relates to trademark and copyright in the space, but also just any invention or method of operation. All of those things are critically important in the United States. so important that protection for specifically copyright and patent are enabled in the Constitution itself. Yeah. In the first article of the Constitution, not an amendment, not something that Congress would do later, that the founding people of this, the people who rolled up on it. There were other people here. That's a story for another day. But decided it was so important to own things, not just physical land, but your intellectual property is critical. And it's even more important in Web3. So the idea of what does that look like and how can people meaningfully participate today and for future generations is something that I'm so excited about. And any platform and any protocol, any technology, any innovation that gets us closer to that, and removes the gatekeepers that prevent people from meaningfully participating is something I'm, I'm absolutely here for. So okay. I'm interested. I'm noticing the time I have to lovingly release you back to the world, but you have got to answer this one very important question. And I'm very curious about the institutional DeFi use case. Yes. Uh, in all of the literature that I've read, that's a really important component of it. Kind of talk us through the native. Know Your Customer or KYC functionality that I think is the comfort level that institutions need to leverage this technology as well. And, and what that looks like as a matter of decentralized finance in the Avalanche ecosystem.
1: Yeah. So um, there is a lot of talk still about kind of decentralized identity or how do you bring digital identities into this space? One of the areas kind of I'm um, honing in where I think it's more necessary to focus in on is how do you create um, a space of smart contracts and and essentially a registry or recognition of smart contracts that align with whatever requirements different people might expect or, or desire, right? Because whatever that eventual... Um, digital identity that somebody uses is going to be one set of whatever other standards might exist. Right. So uh-huh. how do you actually interact with smart contracts and know that you're operating w- within this area of safety or this area of concern? And one of the things I'm working on is actually called smart contract lists, which are very similar to token lists that Uniswap uses. I mean, I think they might've been the developers of them. And these token lists essentially allow you to take the standard structure of of tokens and then say, okay, this token is, is this one according to according to CoinGecko, according to Uniswap, according mm-hmm. to this person, right? So you have all these lists that are basically saying, hey, I'm a certifier in some sense. I'm a, I'm attesting to these contracts and what's contained in them and that they're what you're looking for in this case. Providing that same type of structure for smart contracts and also the interactions between smart contracts. So as you can say, the interaction between smart contract A and smart contract B Mm-hmm. is definitely within the, the sphere of what this institution or this set of institutions are willing to, to, to interact. Um, when you think about governments to say, okay, these are ones we've re- reviewed and attested to their, their validity and they can still exist inside the same space as the decentralized smart contracts are already there without regulating or, or changing anything. You can just actually participate in the space and create a way of actually structuring it. So people can understand what they're interacting with and then how they're interacting with it inside of a more robust manner. So that's kind of the space that I've been looking at when it comes to this institutional aspect is how do you create these lists, the smart contract um, structures that allow them to better um, deliver to customers, to users, um, what they're doing and inform them about their decisions. And that's really, I think, what the next step is and stage is in this space. There is the ability to create subnets also that are KYC, um, but I think that misses the robustness and the beauty of what's in the entire space that that's decentralized? Because then you might, well, what about NFTs then? If if you have a privacy KYC, okay, well, there's no problem with those, but now you're putting people in a place where they can't interact with them. So, So how do you provide people access to the beauty of this space while also providing them the ability to be inside safety when necessary?
0: Yeah. This, you know, navigating the regulatory environment, Across the board, right? Because we're focused because we happen to be sitting here in the United States. But again, one of the strongest arguments and benefits of DeFi is injecting liquidity globally. And yet we come up against the necessary geo-regulatory issues of where you happen to reside, right? Where the DeFi resides. That's going to be my new, that's my new TikTok thing. Um, we shall see. It's not going to be hot. i only, I'll watch. It'll be fine. Oh, I'm but, watching but, you know, when I think of the the regulatory risk that most institutions are not willing to take on until they have some sense of compliance and the ability to comply, having the ability to code around that and for it yeah. is more secure than the current system we have.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> right, so if we no, can is. this is right. So your 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 thoughts about that? The the, the existing system that we have
1: is full of uh, obscurity for the for for the average person, right? Like the the level of transparency and clarity it isn't there. Whereas when we, we talk about these systems, aside um, aside the smart contract networks as they're currently did the design. Um, there's probably more transparency than, than anybody really wants. Right. <laughs> so, about it. Yeah. So, so, with that, n- now you actually have settlement. You have clarity around assets in a way that really is provides a level of discoverability that would have prevented like a lot of our past financial troubles. Right. When we talk right. about about the the, the the prime mortgages and like and, and the junk bonds, right. Right. The, the traceability of those actions of those assets was unclear when we come to. Um, blockchain-oriented technologies, the de- decentralized technologies, all the information is there. You can look at the asset and trace it all the way back to, to its origin. Right so, right. so you can always can discover what's going on and what's happening and ask those those questions. And that is something that would have mitigated the the issue of that unknown. So, so therefore, it becomes a more powerful space now because now you can say these are smart contracts that are that, that are rated A, according to, to to Moody's, right? And you can see this in a way that's like, th- this is a JSON list of, of all the smart contracts that, I can right. with, that have assets that that fall into to my interests are X, Y, Z. And I think that's extremely powerful. I think that it, that is the game changer that I think our regulatory bodies, institutions aren't looking at sufficiently. They're trying to create a space of their own instead of, instead of figuring out how to exist in this space inside of a real way. If they decide to exist in this space in a real way, then they'll find that they have benefits that they didn't expect and the ability to have multiplier effects that that are really, I mean, are altered I think, the world as we see it.
0: It's a really exciting time. And people are getting to witness in real time what generally speaking happens behind closed doors in the valleys yeah. of the world that might be named silicon and around the world. Yeah. That instead we get to see dramatic innovation in real time and in living color, pun intended, as there's so many more people who have the opportunity to participate on all sides, not just as investors, but as builders, policy leaders, uh, legislators, regulators in the space. Not enough, but increasingly more and more. So I'm going to keep hope alive. And the fact that you and I are in the space means that the space is is doing well and there's great hope for the future. I appreciate you so much for coming on here. Tell people how they can learn about you, more about you, more about Avalanche, and certainly to stay in touch.
1: Yes, um, I I try to be on all the social media, so Jamari underscore P on Twitter. You, you could also email me um, at Gmail. It was, it was my name dot my last, my first name dot <laughs> my last name. So, <laughs> If you know those two, you can email me. Um, also, I operate with the Snowball ecosystem on Avalanche. That's snowball.network. Um, also, Snowball defy on Twitter. Um, we're available. We love answering questions. We're a network of builders. So we look forward to engaging with
0: you as we expand um, the Defy for the world. Excellent. Jamari, thank you so much. And I'll see you out there on the Twitter streets. And let's keep networking, keep um, nation building. And I look forward to our next conversation. Until then. Thanks so much to Jamari for this illuminating and engaging conversation about Avalanche. I learned a lot and I hope you did too. We should all A-B-L, always be learning, because after all, crypto and DeFi ecosystems, they never sleep. There's always something new, including novel and innovative ways to bridge the divide between traditional finance and DeFi and to scale within the DeFi ecosystem. With Avalanche's three-blockchain approach that supports DeFi and NFTs, the Ethereum virtual machine, and its dedicated validation layer, the DeFi ecosystem is well on its way to developing viable options for scaling to support the mass adoption that will create and sustain a future of wealth that is inclusive and that fosters economic inclusion and empowerment for all. I'd love, love, love to see it. Now, before we sign off, please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social media's and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you want to hear from. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.